welcome to UTRGV School of Medicine, Careers in Medicine, Coffee to Go podcast. In today's episode, we will be listening to Dr. Chang answer some questions pertaining to his career in radiology. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for having me, Melody. Um, my name is Eric Chang. So I'm a interventional radiologist, but also trained in diagnostic radiology. Um, graduated maybe about three years ago from fellowship and then moved down here with my wife, Chelsea, which I'm sure a lot of the missives there have worked with as far as the clinical skills uh, courses and such. Um, <clears throat> so I did my medical school training with Texas A&M and then my uh, residency as well as fellowship at Baylor Scott and White, which is in Temple, Texas. So are there, um, I guess I see Ro, uh, Ro here. Any, do you have any specific questions, Ro? Or kind of, um, kind of general questions about radiology yeah, or? Yeah, um, so, well, I, I pretty much have a passion as well in what you do, quite in fact, um, you know, I've, I've only shadowed one radiologist. And my question to you is, how did you know that that was the thing for you? Sure. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> I mean, everyone, especially medical students now, <clears throat> as kind of as you get closer to third year, that's always, you know, the question on the mind is, how do you know for sure what specialty you want, you you like, and, you know, are you making the correct decision? So for me, and it happens a lot of people where you'll change stuff. For me, actually, I was applying for general surgery, and then my, uh, I actually hadn't submitted it, but was getting everything ready to apply for general surgery. And then my third year when I was on my IMED rotation, there was a IMED resident, anesthesiology resident, as well as a radiology resident, um, or all interns, all their interns. So, um, you know, sure medical students can relate. You don't have much exposure to <clears throat> subspecialties or, or, or specialties in medicine. So I really didn't know much about anesthesiology or uh, radiology. So I stuck with the, uh, the interns there and then kind of got their opinions and kind of why, why they went into what they did. And um, radiology just kind of made sense for me, it's, uh, specifically interventional radiology, because I wanted to do procedures. Um, and the one thing to kind of keep in mind is, for me anyways, uh, a lot of the paperwork and clinic stuff was kind of uh, turned me off from, you know, general practice was uh, surgery, just because it's a lot of time spent charting and filling out forms and really not practicing medicine. So I kind of knew my own personality that I wouldn't enjoy that. Um, so it was really after I talked with the interns there, and then I had a couple elective times that I could just uh, follow some radiologists there. And particularly, I followed some IR docs for a couple of days on my days off or on the weekends just to see what they did and uh, just really liked what they did. Okay. Um, uh, following question. So, um, how did you prioritize like your free time as an undergrad or in med school, or prioritize like like socializing with people, going out with friends, whatnot? Sure. I mean, everyone has their own balance. Um, for me, uh, I spent a lot of time. Um, just was a close group of friends throughout med school, but I don't, I'm not. I mean, everyone just has to strike their own balance on, on what you what you do, and um, 
kind of med, med school itself for me, you know, I just, I, I, you know, I made like A's and B's. I was probably like middle of the class and such. So I wasn't trying to, you know, be top 10% or be top five students. That, that wasn't the priority to me. Of course, there were some that that was, and so they studied a lot more, but um, it's just kind of just like with every aspect of life and every kind of phase of life you go through undergrad, medical school, and then um, residency, just everyone has to find their own balance um, and just not let one aspect kind of consume you, whether it be schooling or, or you know, medical training or the social part. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I never, I don't know, I don't know if I ever like, actually thought about trying to balance that it just kind of works works out if you kind of have your own internal priority list on what you want to do okay so what are some some tips you should give uh to an undergrad following you know med school or residency tips for like radiology in general or no 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 like is... like tips for an undergrad going into going into med school and residency Oh, I got you. Okay. <clears throat> so if, if, um, for undergrads, I would say, um, it's all numbers game. Unfortunately, there's a lot, you know, each medical school gets thousands of applicants. So the first screening tool is the MCAT and the GPA. So really, uh, focus on that, particularly the MCAT. Um, you know, everyone says they want a well-rounded student, which is true, but the, the primary filter is going to be those numbers. So if you don't meet those numbers, uh, your chances of, uh, you know, getting a second look as far as getting an interview offer or just an interview is real low. So and there's plenty of resources out there that tell you kind of what each school's MCAT average is, GPA average, and then, you know, some resources subdivide that into um, ethnicity and other stuff like that. So I would say um, take a look at those resources, kind of see where you are and where you'd want to be um, as far as the numbers go, because keep in mind, it's kind of hard to pull up your GPA after you have 100 hours of credits. Uh, you can't really change that GPA much after that but I'd say the numbers is is the biggest thing as far as med school preparing for residency um <laughs> uh, my understanding is they've changed kind of the step steps uh step one I think is pass fail now step two is or step three CS is like no longer part of the testing I don't know I so I'm not sure how the how to best prepare yourself to stand out as far as an applicant goes because before it was all about step one you know everyone had the same standardized test and so that was an easy way for for students to if they did really well to have really good chances and kind of open up all the specialties they could apply to versus if they did poorly um it kind of limits you but now with the past fail i'm not sure how it's going to play out um i'm not sure that everyone's anyone's even going to look at step one anymore because I'm, I'm assuming most people are just going to pass it's just going to be another kind of test oh yeah checkbox they finished it um so class class standing kind of helps some um but the way when, when i applied it was really just a steps course I don't, i'm not sure how the residencies look at it now nowadays i think they're transitioning they're looking at step two now that's pretty much i think the only standardized numerical test they have to look at um, but that happens so late in the med school training timeline so i'm not sure how that's going to be how it's going to be uh played out Okay. Thank you. Um, those are some of the questions that I had prepared. I don't know if anyone else wants to ask another question. Um, hello, I, I came a few minutes late. I was in another uh, presentation. Um, so do you practice 
uh, interventional radiology exclusively, or do you ever do like diagnostic? Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a good question. Most most med students, uh, undergraduate, like you know, first off, what is you know, everyone says, what is the average average day of radiologist? Well, it varies. Um, um, and my particular practice, I'd say I do fifty to sixty percent IR, and the other fifty to six percent or fifty to forty percent of diagnostic. Um, I have some colleagues that all they do is diagnostic one hundred percent, and some that do one hundred percent IR. But you know. Um, there are job types out there for everything. You, you can, if you want to take call, which the majority of practices now do, even diagnostic people take call. Um, or if you don't want to take call, it just just a matter of what you want to look for. Because you know, I have I have some colleagues that are a couple of years below me. I think they were in North Dakota or Wyoming or somewhere, and they just work Monday through Fridays, and they have like 20 weeks of vacation. They don't take they don't take call. Um, all they do is diagnostic stuff, 100. And then some people like. Uh, if you want to do 100% IR, you get to really find yourself into a large academic center. Otherwise, um, it's hard to really do that and for that practice to be viable because the practice earns a lot more money from diagnostic reads than from IR procedures. Um, so my, my typical day is uh, it's from seven to seven to four. And then for the first one or two hours, I'm just reading, <clears throat> you know, AM chest x-rays, ICU films, uh, the stats that the pops across. And then I'll do my procedures, probably I'll do between 12 to 17 procedures a day. Some of them are real quick that literally take me a minute or two, like paracentesis, thoracentesis. Some other ones are a little more complicated or need anesthesia, take more time. Um, so it's just a mix of things. Um, and typically I'm done by maybe three. And in between cases, I'll, I still have my computer you know, open and if I'm if I have a break, I'll just help out on the list, which is just a list of all the exams. And so one 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 thing to think about for radiology is really know your own personality and know what you feed off of. Whether you need that kind of positive feedback, you're not going to get any of that in radiology, right? You you read a CT scan, you don't know if you got it right or wrong. You close out, you go to the next study. Like there's no follow up unless it's like a real bad miss and like oh hey, you know you 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 didn't call this and this happened. So. There's not really a lot of positive feedback in radiology. It's kind of, unless you do it on your own, like so there'll be some cases where I look at it, I'm like, oh, I'm not quite sure what it is. I'll list my differential. I'll make a little note on, on a document I had to go back and check it. So I'll go back and see what they found in the OR. And unless you go out of the way to do that, you really don't know if you're missing stuff. Um, it's real hard these days as far as kind of the culture of things where before, if it, you know, in training, it's nice because you miss something. That's what your attending is there for. They'll, they'll correct you. Say, okay, you, you missed this, and this is why it's important. Well, whenever you go to private practice, the people that are going to be telling you if you missed stuff are your colleagues. And that will happen if they have a repeat scan because the you know, symptoms are still there. But nowadays, if you tell someone they missed something, they may take offense. And so it's kind of hard. So it's, a, it's a fine line as far as like teaching and helping people catch their messes versus someone viewing it as harassment or something. So it's kind of, you have to kind of be proactive if you want to continue to improve. Cause I was, you know, everyone says medicine, it's not just, you're not done when you're doing med school, you're not done with residency. You've got to consistently learn, you know, I'm still viewing CME videos where I'm learning stuff every day. Like, Oh, I, I never learned that. It's, you know, that's a new, new process and particularly in radiology with the technology side of things. I mean, the, the advances in imaging have, have, um, just um, uh, improved exponentially, you know, with all the new imaging modalities we have, as well as the 
uh, image resolution and just kind of the new stuff we're doing is, and also it bleeds over into the procedures as well. So my, my schedule kind of, I'm sorry, go back to my schedule, it's maybe half and half. I'm on call pretty much 24 seven, and it's really not a big deal if you're in kind of a smaller hospital, if you're in the largest trauma hospital where you're going to get called in because where I trained, it was the level one trauma center. Um, every night I got called in every night we were in there doing some kind of embolization for some kind of MVC or, you know, something. Um, and that can wear on you. Um, with that, I was on call like Q4 down here. I'm on call Q2 or Q3, which means every, every second or third weekend and that corresponding week. Um, but there's the majority of the people in my group who are diagnostic. They don't, you know, they don't do any procedures. They can work remotely from home. Um, uh, and then there's a kind of another mental aspect of radiology where you're, it's shift work, right? You're kind of, so emergency medicine, anesthesiology, resident, uh, and radiology are kind of shift work now. And so you get on your time, you leave when you're done, but it's not like you're ever, you can't ever finish early is one thing, you know, like if you have a, if you're a primary care doc and you have, or it's someone in a clinic and you have a clinic schedule, you know how many patients you're going to see, you know, when you're done. For radiology, you just sit there and the list keeps building and building. You just you just keep working. Um, so there's kind of a different uh, workflow with radiology versus some other specialties that you don't know, have X number of patients, X number of procedures you have to do that day. You, you really don't know because you always get add-ons. You always have to read you know, new films, stat films or whatever. So um, the, the workflow itself has really shifted the shift work, um, particularly now that most hospitals requiring 24 seven reads and, you know, stat turnaround times at 30 minutes for any kind of inpatient stat. So a lot of these hospitals are having hiring their own radiologists to provide 24 seven coverage or larger groups that can provide it. They're kind of moving away from that night hawk telemedicine, you know, telemedicine for night coverage, because sometimes the quality's just not as good and they can't meet that turnaround time. So it seems like the, the way radiology groups are going is either employed from the hospital or um, just a real large group, which, um, so I, I belong to Radiology Partners, which is the largest national group for radiology. And, and so they can kind of offer support, but we still kind of function as a private practice, but we have about 65 radiologists in my group. Okay, yeah, that, that helps a lot. Um, what's sort of the, amount of like patient contact with like interventional radiology. So is there, do you follow up with them or is it just like, how is that process? Yeah. So the way that interventional radiology is moving as far as the larger academic centers, they're wanting us to become very clinical. Um, most training facilities for IR will have their own clinic. You have a nurse practitioner, or PA help see your patients, write the notes. Um, so they typically have their own clinic. So where I trained, we had clinic five days a week, um, we saw kind of our more complicated uh, procedures uh, as kind of a consult. And then um, we would follow them with the post-op imaging. Like say we do a cryoablation where we freeze something, like we freeze a renal cell carcinoma. After you do that, typically they need imaging for five years to make sure it doesn't come back. And so we'd see them, you know, at the six month interval after the scan and discuss the results. Um, a lot of patient contact comes from the inpatient side. So whenever you consent your patient for the procedure, you're supposed to talk to them, right? You got to talk about the risks and benefits. So I talk to every patient under the procedure on, um, you know, the patients that are like chronic cirrhosis with the size that get, 
their Paris and Houston's done once every two weeks. They've done it for the past two years. They're just like, yeah, 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 you know, I'll sign here and they're ready. But, um, you know, if, if I'm going to do like a splenic artery embolization for, uh, there's like a 24-year-old kid who fell from ladders, had a splenic lack, was bleeding. I talked to him about it for probably a good five, 10 minutes, let him know what the risks were, kind of what to expect afterwards. Um, so uh, it's a lot more clinical than most people would expect. Even diagnostic radiology is a lot more clinical. You don't really talk to the patient, but you're, you're getting consulted all the time. Um, the other doctors uh, will, will ask you for your opinion on a, a certain read. Uh, even if you read before, just with some more clinical data, just, you know, kind of check off their own list of what they're worried about. Um, if they don't know what to order, because there's all sorts of imaging studies with contrast without, you know, what body part, kind of what timing do you need? Uh, so they'll consult me, call me a lot of times, you know, saying this is what I'm worried about, what kind of scan do I need to order? So I'd say for IR, and you're talking to patients every hour, there's a patient you're talking to, especially, you know, consenting them. For diagnostic radiology, you're fielding phone calls. You're probably taking maybe eight to ten calls a day from clinicians or the tech has a question or something like that. So uh, it's a lot more clinical than most people probably realize. And I think it's changed a lot in the past, you know, probably five, ten years. A lot of the older radiologists, they're used to kind of the <clears throat> stereotype of, you know, sitting in that dark room, no one bothering them reading. That's 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 really not happening anymore. It's more of a uh, team-based approach. And, um, you know, I work at Rio Grande Regional and people, the clinicians there have my cell phone number. So they'll call me constantly, just ask my opinion and stuff, ask if I can do XYZ procedure. So it's a lot more clinical than people think. Yeah, I think a lot of people have uh, um, like a bad like perception of radiology or they don't really understand it. Um, I'm actually president of the radiology student interest group, and there's not like oh, a yeah. lot of there's not a lot of members because it's not a yeah. field that a lot of people are considering. But I think it's really underrated because it's cerebral. But then if you want to do procedures, you can do IR if that's something you want to do. Or I don't think a lot of people <laughs> know that you can do like a hybrid format like you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, you know, I'll I have one of my classmates that works somewhere in Texas. Um, he just does breast imaging. So he does mammograms, ultrasounds, MRI, no call, Monday through Friday. And he makes, I don't know, like seven, $800,000. Like, that's crazy. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice because you can build your, your own practice or your own lifestyle to what you want. Like, granted, if you really want to live in a city, there's going to be some compromises, right? Uh, if you want to work out of Houston or Austin, you will, you're kind of at their mercy on, on what call you're going to take because everyone's going to want to go there. But you can find it kind of more rural areas and kind of build your own schedule. Um, and uh, I was talking with <clears throat> my hospital, Rio Grande Regional. So we we haven't had med students follow any any subspecialty there, I think, except for OB-GYN. I think OB-GYN has like a clerk through them. So I spoke with credentialing and um, y'all can talk with Melody about this. I'll, I'll stay in contact with you through emails, um, but y'all have the opportunity to shadow me. That recently got approved. Now it doesn't count towards any kind of credit. It doesn't count towards any clerkship or any kind of graduate or medical education, you know, stuff. It's just kind of for your own, your own interest and kind of own knowledge. Um, and, you know, you guys will be able to observe the floral procedures and such um can look at the you know films with me and i can go over stuff with y'all just kind of see exactly what it is because uh it's not many people know what it is unless you're physically sitting there and seeing what's going on and then even on top of that it's it's hard because 
if you're sitting there watching someone else read, well, everyone has their own search pattern. So they could be scrolling through some images and not looking at the same thing you're looking at and you're totally lost because you don't know what they're what they're looking looking for. Um, and and as far as you know, the way it'll be structured is um, I'll talk with Melody, we'll set it up as far as um, what dates you all want to be there, and then um, just gotta submit some some forms or just some um, some information to the credentialing department and my hospital just showing that you're a medical student um, and just some other forms just to show that you are who you are. And then, um, you know, medical students would be, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure if offer extends to undergrads, but I'm sure we could work on that. Um, you could follow me on the weekdays or in the weekends and just kind of see what it's like. Yeah, I'd be really interested in, in seeing you in action because I've never seen the IR procedure um, other than like videos online, but or even just how to read or interpret the scans, like you said, just kind of, kind of follow along. That would be really good. Yeah. yeah, that sounds that sounds really great. Um, I actually um a few years back, I I don't know if you if you know him, but I shadowed a Dr. Samson at DHR. Yeah, um, yeah, I think he's still there. He's the uh, the president of that group there. Yes. So, um, I went and I went <laughs> with the with the stigma and stereotype that it was gonna be you know a dark room and just him surrounded by a bunch of screens. And actually I was very surprised. And, you know, that's, that hit me like, oh man, this is what I want to do. Like he went and he started doing a bunch of procedures and it just looked like a whole lot of fun. So I'm actually very interested into seeing, you know, you work and going into procedures. So that sounds really yeah. cool. Yeah, image, I mean, the image guided procedures that we're able to do now are incredible stuff that used to be, you know, open x lap surgeries are now done through needle sticks, right? I mean, when, when we're done with our procedures, they have a Band-Aid on their groin. Or, you know, if you do a lung biopsy, they have a Band-Aid on their chest. And you've provided them the answer of what's going on, right? So, yeah, no, I, I think procedures, I mean, obviously, that's why I went to interventional radiology. But procedures are um, just, it's hard to really grasp what people are, or what the medicine is capable of these days unless you see it and. Um, it's 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 amazing. I had a question on the type of IR that's performed in your practice. So I know that um, there's some fellowships uh, where you can specialize even more on a system. Uh, do you do like general like head to toe, or do you like focus on a particular like body system? Sure. So the only extra training that I'm aware of is if you want to do neurointerventional. So that's like an extra two years on top of uh, interventional um, fellowship. And then now they're training neurosurgeons to do it as well, as well as neurologists. There's like endovascular neurologists and endovascular neurosurgeons. So <clears throat> I would say if, if any, you know, if there's a physician that's graduating from fellowship in the US for IR, they should be comfortable with kind of the whole gamut of things. Um, what I do at my facility when I first started, <clears throat> um, all they're doing were all the majority of stuff they're doing paras and thoras which are pretty simple straightforward um dialysis work putting in catheters um and fistula work and that's pretty much it um but my hospital the supplies lady the credentialing they've been real um real helpful and 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 encouraged kind of supportive of me so since then um we're now capable of you know, doing a TIPS procedure, which is kind of more advanced. We, we can do Y90, which is um, 
tumor treatments where we inject radioactive beads that emit uh, beta radiation, I think, and actually irradiate the tumor. And you can treat tumors like that. Um, I do, you know, I do kyphoplasties, arterioplasties, um, uh, some arterial work in the legs um, if needed. Um, pretty much, can't think of anything that. We can't really offer here. We have like a, what's a what's called a crowd machine, a microwave machine, where under CT guidance, we have these long probes. You can stick it in the tumor, and you can cook the tumor, or you freeze it, and the results are just as good as if they went in and did a partial hysterectomy or did something like that. Um, you know, we have. Um, I recently, so I didn't train on this. It's it's, it's a procedure to treat. Uh, BPH, benign prostatic hypertrophy, right? So as guys get older, the prostate gets larger and the treatment for that is typically a TERP. So the urologist can go in there, but there's a lot of side effects with uh, like incontinence and stuff like impotence, stuff like that. But IR actually is a procedure where I go in there and I find those prosthetic arteries and uh, my cat the catheter I use is tiny. It's like, um, it's less than, a less than a millimeter in diameter. And I find those vessels and I'll put in these little beads that are like 200 microns in size and I essentially embolize the prostate gland and then the prostate gland shrinks and I've done I think four or five down here and all of them have, have had great results and so you, you know they don't have the issues with incontinence or uh, impotence and they're still able to void like these people they you know they can't urinate because the prostate is so large right from a procedure they come back like oh wow yeah you know I noticed it within a couple of days I was starting to urinate again um, so procedures at my hospital, kind of whole array of things. Um, I would say most graduating IR trained physicians should be comfortable with pretty much everything. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I had another question about, um, so I know interventional radiology is like one of the most competitive um, fields to get into. Um, now that uh, Step one is pass fail, which I was kind of like disappointed in. But uh, step two, like you said, is going to be the new metric. But did you have to do like a lot of research at all um, in radiology to kind of make yourself a more competitive applicant, or how, how did you go about? Yeah, so, I mean, so back, so back then, I just had a really good step one score. That's my shit. Uh, I did like a, what's called a case in point for the American College of Radiology. It's actually structured uh, the submission of, it's just, you find one case, you write up about it, some teaching points, submit it, counts as like a publication. And it's kind of designed for medical students. So from start to finish, it can take you maybe a week or two and you can get one under your belt. Um, as far as actual research, I would say the majority of people don't have it. And it really doesn't stand out that you don't have it. Um, I don't, I, yeah, I'm not sure how y'all are supposed to stand out anymore without step one actually being scored. I have a feeling that some of these real competitive subspecialties will, over time, create their own exam and be like, all right, if you want to apply to us, you need to take the standardized test and then have those numbers to actually help them, you know, help with the mission. So I'm, I think it's going to be a mess um, for the next yeah. year as far as missions. I heard from some program directors that what they're going to do is they're just going to like exclude um, or only like using an algorithm, just like a top 40 med school, depending on their, their program and as a way to have some sort of standardization since there's no. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like they, they did a huge disservice to students when they changed the pass fail. Um, 
but I guess it's causing too much stress for med students is I think the reason they changed it, which uh, it's a stressful field. You're going to, you're going to take tests for the rest of your life. Um, so I would, you know, for IR, I would think doing away rotation is very beneficial for diagnostic radiology. Not so much. It's kind of hard to prove your hands on, you know, what, you know, if you're not reading films, you're just sitting in the back of the room. Um, so I would say if you're, you know, real interested in IR, do your research, see which programs are out there. Cause there's a lot of programs that, um, don't have the breadth of procedures to really give you really good training in all, all sorts of aspects. And, and so I remember when they were splitting up like the IR direct pathway, what they did was some procedures, they decreased the number that you needed to be certified so that smaller programs could still do it. And so, I mean, there may be some procedure that, you know, you've only seen or something throughout fellowship and then you go out and you're supposed to do it by yourself without anyone trying to help you. So, um, you know, just take a look at the programs, see how large the program is, what kind of procedures they do. And then if you find one that really interests you, I would for sure try to set up in a way rotation and, and be there physically and, um, and show that you're a hard worker, you know, show up on time, show up early, <laughs> uh, kind of read up a, a, about the procedure they're going to be doing, ask intelligent questions and such. Um, but if, if you're just interested in diagnostic radiology, not too important, unless you really have that one dream school you really want to go to, then you can, you know, just go there and just really, really try to impress them for the week or two that you're there and, and see how it goes. Yeah, I, I guess because our school, it's a newer school and there's not a lot of like resources yet, especially like radiology, there's no residency here. There's not even um, to get like career advisement, like from a radiologist. So like it's, I guess because maybe there's uh, not a lot of people know about it or, or interested in it, I don't know. But um, yeah, but step one being passed, so that's what kind of, I'm trying to like find more research opportunities because I, I figure like other those type of metrics are going to try to count more now, but I'll definitely try yeah. to seek some away rotations or maybe yeah, just I would, I, yeah, just I would look into um, case in point. And if you go to acr.org and type in case in point, they'll show you examples of kind of what's been submitted. Um, and honestly, those you know, I think I, I worked with one of the um, 30 med students. Um, and it literally took her probably a week or two to get all the information and write up the case and she submitted it. And even, you know, even when you're applying, it doesn't have to be accepted. You just like kind of list it there as, you know, in progress that you're, you know, it's in, in submission. So um, I think that that's probably the low hanging fruit is those case in point stuff, just to get something to put in that, in that little field of your CV, if it really bothers you that it's empty. <clears throat> Um, for your program, specifically your residency, did you do, um, uh, I don't know how it was, was it diagnostic and then you started uh, intervention, was it integrated or did you have to apply an independent um, program? I don't know. I know there's like three different ways. Yeah, so when I applied, that, that those three pathways were not there. Um, basically, when I applied, you applied to a diagnostic, you applied to radiology residency and then all radiology residencies are structured that you need X number of rotations in each body system. You need X number of weeks in neuro, MSK, 
abdominal imaging chest IR. And so in my program, when I was a PGY three and four is when they start, um, PGY four is when they start putting you in IR. And then my PGY five year, we had uh, electives. And so I, I picked extra time in IR and such. But now that now the way they structure it, I think there's like a DR IR path, there's a direct IR pathway, and there's one more where you can go like DR and convert to IR later. And just it's just confusing, but it's achieving the same thing. Um, the 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 quickest route is six years, which it was before. It was five years of radiology residency, one year of IR. Um, but my understanding was they're trying to make it more clinical. <clears throat> so there's like an actual ICU month that the IR uh, fellow has to, or IR resident has to do, which I, I don't know the utility of that. Um, but that's kind of the way that academic medicine is moving is they want the IR doctor to kind of take care of their own patients after the procedure, which I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. I also had a, a question on like the lifestyle in terms of the, the residency for diagnostic and IR, how they're the same and how they differ, because I think a lot of us know more about like general surgery or internal medicine type lifestyle, but not so much like IR radiology in terms of residency. Sure. So the first is going to be internships. So you're going to be either, you know, IR, I'm sorry, you'll be internal medicine <clears throat> or surgery. Or if you can find a nice transitional year, people do that. But those are typically very competitive because you're competing against ophthalmology, dermatology, all these other, you know, highly special, you know, high, highly competitive ones to have a transitional year. So first year, you know, it's a kind of a wash. You can make it whatever you want. Some people like, some people think, oh, I'm general surgery, learn a lot about the imaging characteristics, learn how it correlates with surgery. You know, that's not going to happen. If you're an intern for, you know, surgery residency, they're going to work you. You're going to be rounding and you're writing notes. <laughs> you know, they don't really, uh, from what I've seen, it's, you don't learn much. You're kind of there as a, as a workhorse. And then PGY two through five. So, you know, postgraduate year two through five. Um, typically, the, yeah, I don't think you can take call for X number of months. So it's not until the end of your third year, you actually start taking calls. So for a year and a half, you're working Monday through Friday, eight to five, all weekends off. So it's really nice in that aspect. Um, then you start taking overnights and weekend calls, which really is not too bad. It's maybe every program's different, but I would say it's like a Q4 schedule. And then your PGY five year, it's much more relaxed, kind of like it's kind of like fourth year med, med school, where you just kind of do whatever you want and you know, you've already matched to what fellowship you're going to, and um, you finish your boards, hopefully you pass them. Um, so I would say the lifestyle is much easier during training, but then it's kind of, it's pretty different in, in your own, in private practice, because most people don't think of diagnostic radiologists taking call, but they do like the people in my group, they work every fifth weekend, but they're like 11 hour shifts and you're busy. So every fifth weekend they're covering, um, you know, major hospitals in Houston and Corpus and down here and reading from a list from, you know, like probably 10 hospitals and 20 ERs on that list. And so it gets busy, but you do end up taking call. And then there's like another, again, like how, how you can structure your work. There are overnight people. All they do is read over, uh, they work the evening shifts. And some places where you used to train, they did two weeks on, two weeks off. And that wasn't like, that wasn't part of vacation. That was just, you work two weeks a nights. And you got two weeks off. And so that worked a lot with some people that, you know, wanted to travel or wanted to, you know, 
do other stuff. Um, but one of my co-residents is actually in my same group who works nights here and it's two weeks on one week off um, for him and all he does is our night shifts and so you know if, if that works with people's lifestyle that that option's out there because a lot of people don't want to work nights and honestly um i don't know i would think if if someone was married with no kids or if you're single that'd be that'd be a great choice for you if that's what you wanted well, for IR, um, would you say you had to work like all 80 hours a week during residency, or is it less than that? And diagnostic also, is it less than 80, or do you still do? Yeah, it's they're for sure less than 80. Um, for IR during fellowship, I would say every now and then you kind of approach that number, um, but it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near as bad as you know the surgery or ortho people ortho residents that I that I saw. Um, for IR, it's, you know, again, every, every program is different, but where I worked, I was on call Q4 and it was a large enough institution that I was in every Saturday. Like there wasn't a question. It wasn't like, Oh, hoping I'll get called in. No, every Saturday I was there from probably eight to three and then Sunday there for like four or five hours. And then you got called in overnight almost every time. Um, but they build it into where like, let's say if I was in on a trauma call, that finished at you know like 6 a.m they let me go home and you know come back at noon or come back at whatever 1 p.m or something like that if, if i needed to um but it's as far as lifestyle goes it's it's not i don't think it's anything that that would break my decision to to do it it's not that grueling okay thanks for clarifying um another thing you kind of brought it up like how neurologists and neurosurgeons can get trained in certain uh, IR procedures. Uh, so how do you feel about scope creep from like other um, specialties in interventional radiology? Like, is that a problem that, that you encounter? Uh, how do I feel creep? about what? Yeah, uh, scope creep, um, yeah. <clears throat> I think as long as it's done safely, I'm, I'm personally fine with it. Um, I have heard of some people in Houston, some vascular surgeons that are doing embolizations with particles and coils. I mean, they weren't trained on that. So that stuff kind of makes me a little uneasy. Um, but it's not like I'm hurting for work. Um, honestly, I actually have a very good relationship with the cardiologist here at my hospital. Um, we help each other out. So if there's cases that, you know, they need a second opinion on, they can bounce it off me. But um, I would say kind of more in the larger academic setting, settings, that's where it becomes an issue. Uh, because you have all these, you know, instead of one vascular surgeon, you know, you have five of them there. And then they all, at that point, then yes, they all need to kind of find work uh, and stay busy. And so they start doing some endovascular stuff. And so I've, I've, I've seen some, some procedures kind of go south from people kind of picking stuff up along the way. That's what bothers me. But if they're trained on it, I personally, I personally don't mind if they're able to still provide, you know, uh, a safe procedure and, and good clinical outcomes. That's great. It's fine by me. And so uh, I feel like, um, you know, with, with medicine, you're a lot of it's kind of unknown. You guys are expected, you know, to apply to med, med school, I think like probably when you're junior in undergrad, right? You're expected to apply for a residency when you're PGY, I mean, when you're MS3, when you're just starting your clinicals, like 
most people haven't gone through a lot of clinical stuff. Um, it gets a little bit better though, if you do go into radiology, because then you've at least done it for four years before you apply. And then what's nice is after you finish your fellowship, <clears throat> um, you are now in charge of where you go, right? Before you're always like applying, hoping people will take you. But uh, one thing I think that a lot of the recent grads and myself as well, um, one of the pitfalls is whenever you graduate, we don't, we don't really bargain much for jobs and you'll, people get taken advantage of. And so I think our mentality is we're, we're going through schooling, trying to get accepted. And then when we finally graduate, we don't realize, hey, we're actually kind of in the driver's seat and we can kind of negotiate and, you know, um, and, and ask for more money, time off or less responsibility, something like that. Um, that's kind of something to keep in mind whenever you get to that point is um, kind of the tables have turned once you finished fellowship and kind of um, know your own worth, know your own self-worth. And, and particularly now, I remember there's um, an article that came out. I think it said like like 70% of the radiologists right now practicing are like over 45. Um, a large majority of them are like over 55 and they retire pretty soon. There's, there is a radiology shortage right now, radiology shortage in the U.S. And so um, it's only going to kind of be made worse through um, just the residencies. They're, they're not really expanding much. And then just kind of healthcare in general is kind of growing out of, out of control. And so they're, they're running out of bodies, bringing out radiologists, people are going to start retiring. A lot of the older docs that have, you know, got good deals when they got bought out from prior practice, once they get vested in their money, they're going to go part-time or just quit. Um, so I think to be coming to the field of radiology now is a good time. And I'm sure in the next five or so years, it's going to hold true as well. Were, were you interested in radiology before medical school or once you were in it? And like, how did you finally decide this is the field? That, that's yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I didn't even know about it until um, I was a third, 30 medical student. Um, we actually had a, uh, a radiology course that we had to start taking when we were MS3s. It was one Saturday a month. And... Um, is given by radiologists all in their own subspecialty. And they went over slides, cases, for that. So that was kind of my first exposure. Um, and then kind of when I decided I wanted to do it was when I actually spoke with uh, a radiology intern, kind of asked her her opinion and kind of what why she liked it. And then I, you know, at that time, the hospital I was in had all the, all the residencies there. So I just would every now and then would just pop into the, radi uh, the radiology department and try to do like an elective there or just follow people there for a day or two, uh, particularly in IR is really easy just to pop in. And, you know, especially if I was on medicine and my patient was going down for IR procedure, I would just follow them and, you know, watch what's going on down there. So um, to answer your question, it wasn't until third year because you have no exposure to it. Yeah, I know that's a lot of a big problem for a lot of schools that they don't require radiology as like a, as a, part of the third year or fourth year. So some people don't discover if they're interested in it until almost they're getting ready to graduate and then they're kind of scrambling to see where they can get in. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a problem with like radiology in general. Like people don't know what it is until, like they have an idea, but it's not exactly what it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, I think most people's perception of radiology is, not 
doesn't match up to what we do every day. Like, I don't think people realize how much clinical information we use and how, you know, I guess the pathology we see and really how, how well of anatomy you have to know to be able to read the cross-sectional imaging. And uh, you said for paperwork, it's not that much in IR or do you still have to do yeah, it's it's almost it's almost nothing. It's going to catch up to us though. There's a lot of legislation always going on. You know, extra forms, consents, timeouts, all that stuff. I mean, a lot of it is for the patient safety, which is great. Um, but uh, unless you have a clinic, all you do is uh, I, I just do a post-op note in the EMR. Um, if they're inpatient, if they're outpatient, I just do a handwritten note. And that's pretty much it. So um, I was talking to Chelsea, my you know my wife, who's an IMED doc. You know, they're saying you know, for every was it for every hour they spend seeing a patient, there's 20 minutes of clerical work. And to me, I think that's just a waste of time and talent and kind of resources to have a physician be filling out FMLA forms or signing for disability. It just, um, and then there's all these, um, a lot of the billing and coding stuff. Nowadays, a lot of physicians are in charge of, you have to know which CPT code include on there or how to like upgrade your level visit from a two to three or three to four but for me it's not i don't have any of that i dictate my report the coders go through my report and tell me what i need or what i'm missing and that's it like i, I don't i don't have to do a you know review system make sure i hit 14 out of the 16 of them and list two fields of every you know organ system it's it's not not really there as as not there yet um yeah uh, your wife is actually my career advisor and, um, oh great! <laughs> I, I actually, I actually told her a lot of these things before. Like, I mean, you have to be really good with people, or at least like a lot of patient contact, and you know, answering all those questions. And I'm kind of not into that so much. So yeah. that's why I'm kind of leaning more towards radiology. I kind of just like that it has everything that I'm kind of looking for. Uh, yeah, I think it's real important to to know what you like and dislike, and and. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, oh, I don't want, I don't want to sit there and have small talk with a patient. Like some people are like, oh, what? You need your doctor. You need to talk to the patient. So you, like, just kind of know what, what your own, your own kind of likes and dislikes and, and, and focus or pick especially based off of that. Um, so it's such an investment as far as, you know, four years medical school, three to seven years of residency and fellowship. I mean, Hate to, be, hate to be stuck in a, in a specialty you didn't like just because you wanted to show that you were a caring doctor that loved to talk to patients or something, you know, just kind of know your own limitations and, and, and what you expect to get out of it. Because um, I honestly, for me, if I know if I was doing 100% diagnostic radiology just in that room the whole time, it kind of gets, um, for me, it's more exhausting than if I was, you know, doing 10, 20 cases a day on my feet all day. That's that, that time passes by much faster for me doing that than if I was sitting down and reading. But some people just love sitting down and reading. They actually, you know, prefer to do that and pick their specialty based off that. So another thing, uh, you're kind of forced to retain a lot of the medical knowledge that you learn in medical school in comparison to a lot of other specialties, right? Particularly for the diagnostic part. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think medical education has changed a lot. So now we're I'm not really expected to memorize a lot of stuff. You you are for your boards. You should know kind of the bread and butter stuff and kind of know the the uh, zebras when you see them and and stuff like that. But in private like in the in the real world, 
I, there's a lot of stuff I look up. Like there's all these society guidelines, um, differential diagnoses, kind of imaging characteristics. I think the, the main thing is to know of it, know it when you see it, and then you can always reference information to read about it. Um, I would say I reference what's called, it's a website called Radiopedia. I reference that probably five, 10 times a day as far as management or disease processes or differentials. Like uh, it's just, there's just too much out there to really say, you know, it all. And I think, I think medicine in general is, has kind of shifted. I mean, up to date, it's amazing, right? It's, you don't have to memorize all that anymore. You can just go to up to date. And as long as you kind of know a ballpark of what you're looking for or what you think it is, you can then kind of tailor your, your reading to that. Yeah, this is really good to know because these are a lot of like things that we don't get to aren't taught or about how things really are. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as, so the DR, I think it's probably middle of the pack as far as competitiveness. Um, from what I heard from the program directors, the IR split was kind of honestly came from the IR side because they wanted to kind of then become even more competitive and kind of be able to have their own own control in the application. So I've heard IR has gotten a, like was one of the most competitive, if not the most competitive, as far as scores went recently. So, um, but there's always, I mean, there's always programs out there. There's stuff that you don't hear about. You know, um, this program that I trained at Scott White, no one heard about it, um, but it came out, I think this year, last year, like Temple Scott White's hospital is the number two teaching hospital in all the U.S. I mean, no one, no one would think that just because it's in the middle of nowhere, but uh, there's really good education out there. So there's a lot of smaller programs out there that people don't know about. And um, I, I wouldn't, I would say if someone's interested in IR, I want to just check off your list because you may not think you're competitive. It's still worth looking into. Let's say um, you don't get into an IR like residency right out of like med school you match, but you get into like a diagnostic radiology. Would you recommend the intern year be surgery instead if maybe down the road you want to apply for like uh, that one or two year um, pathway for IR or should it yeah. just be medical? I would just do whatever's easiest. Um, if you were going to surgery, they're going to work. Yeah. It's, I, I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, hey, the applicant wants to do IR. Oh, great. He had a surgical internship. Like that, would, there's no weight to that. Um, as an intern, you're just going to be, you know, rounding, writing orders and, and stuff like that. So I would, I would say, get what you can. Uh, I, I, my, my intern year was kind of a merge of stuff. So I had one month of, emergency trauma service I work I just rounded and wrote notes I had like two months of emergency medicine and then two months of radiology and multiple months of IMED so you don't think it would be uh, like detrimental in any way if you do like a medical engineer and then end up getting into IR and not having like some surgical experience or is it okay you can learn quickly on the on the job yeah, and that's that's yeah and that's the whole reason for the residency right you're not expected to know anything. They're there to teach you. So I think that's this this is good. This is good. I'm yeah. glad you're telling me this stuff. <laughs> people think, oh, you know, I don't know how to stitch or, you know, like I'm sure people know the basics, but you're not expected to go in there and, and know how to do a, a ultrasound guided access on your first day. That's the whole reason the training is there is to teach you that. Now, when you finish, yes, you should be able to know all that stuff and do it well and quickly. But starting off, that's kind of why the program's there, right? 
<clears throat> okay, yeah, that was really helpful. So medical is for the first year. <laughs> yeah, and and um, I would say it's more common for people to switch from IR to diagnostic than from diagnostic to IR. In my class of seven, very first day of residency, five of us wanted to do IR. At the end, only two of us did. And actually, one of my good friends um, who's work, who works nights on my in that group, he's like, oh, I'm all about IR. But he did it. And he's like, man, I suck. Like, I'm, I have horrible hand-eye coordination. And he realized he just wasn't good at it. So he ended up doing neuroradiology. Um, so I would say the large majority of people that may not know exactly what IR is, is about, they'd be like, oh, yes, it's going to do this, what I'm going to do. But then the uh, majority of them will then find because they because honestly they don't know the other fields of radiology until you rotate through them and they're like oh this is amazing i can still do muscle skeletal i am still the procedures like joint injections ultrasound guided stuff um mammography or breast imaging you can still do biopsies you do mri guided biopsies ultrasound stereotactic with x-ray i mean there's still procedures in other fields of radiology but it's just not the the dominant factor of it All right, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, with questions. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, this was very helpful. And I definitely like to shout at you sometime. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, um, if y'all want to reach out to Melody, she has my email and I can get in contact with her as far as what the steps are. I think she says there are some forms on ETRGV side that needs to be filled out. And then I can um and then we can, I can let Melody you know what's needed on my hospital side as far as credentialing gets y'all in and, and working with me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, likewise. Thank you very much, Dr. Chang. Um, yeah. You you literally cleared up so many things that um, Aaron had questions in common with me. So I really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My pleasure. And um, you know, if y'all have any more questions or such, you guys can get my email from Melody. Um, I'd be more than happy to answer them. But I'm actually there is a um. There was an intern work that worked at DHR with Chelsea, and I think he's a PGY three or PGY four now at Mayo uh, Radiology, and he's thinking about coming back. So him and I have been in contact because he's asked, you know, his his questions are about the workforce, like how is it in private practice, you know, what kind of hours, what's the pay, what's you know, what's expected time off. And it's pretty interesting because one of the staff members where he's at Mayo was she was one year below me in residency. So she's a neuro staff there. And so kind of cross paths for that. But but it's always good to have, uh, I guess, a mentor or just someone just to bounce your questions off of that can help you. Because if you look on the internet, you're going to find every which answer. Um, I, would stay, I would stay away from those forms. Student Doctor Network, man, I looked at that for a little bit. It's just a bunch of people blowing their horn. Like they're just, you know, kind of bragging like, oh, which of these top, you know, Ivy schools should I go to? You know, it's that kind of stuff will wear on you. So um, I would say if y'all can find someone, whether through UTRGV, through DHR, one of the radiologists there to, to kind of have be as a mentor to ask questions, um, it helps a lot. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Chang, for joining us. Um, I did record this session so this will be available to share with other students who maybe weren't able uh, to attend for today. 
but thank you so much. And of course, students, uh, if you want to connect with me, careers in medicine, you can send me an email and I can walk you through the process of shadowing Dr. Chang. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Great. Thank, thank you. Thank you all.